around, went around to all the dancers in town. Most every night or so, little Pearl was his girl and she could always be found. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time with your hosts, Susan Raslin and David Daw. On this podcast, we are watching every movie ever nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. Every week, we'll watch and review a different movie, and once we've watched all the films nominated in a particular year, we'll bring you a special episode telling you, in retrospect, which movie should have won and why? And this week, we watched the Broadway Melody. Which I loved everything about, except, well, that's not true. My least favorite part of this film was the song, The Broadway Melody. However, I will say, I liked this movie far more than I've liked any movie we've watched so far. Absolutely. I'm completely in agreement. First of all, it was actually a relief from silent filmmaking, and I don't know if it's because the version I watched has been remastered, <laughs> but like everyone was comprehensible, <laughs> which was amazing. Yeah, I you could hear every line. I think it's also that like there are no exterior shots in this film, none. There's two exterior shots of Times Square at the very, very end of the movie, and there is a shot of 1929 Manhattan skyline that may qualify for pornography at the very beginning of the film. Oh, it was really hot. There is absolutely nothing that involves any of our characters shot outside at any point in this film. Which I deeply appreciate. Absolutely. After <laughs> in old Arizona which apparently was filmed on location in a wind tunnel in old Arizona. <laughs> Quickly, just to say what the movie is about, the sister act from nebulously somewhere out west moves to New York, and one of the sisters is involved with this guy, Eddie, who is a songwriter slash, like, Low-level producer is what I get the... It's very unclear. How any of Broadway works in this movie's universe is very unclear. But he is successful and is part of this new review and is hot shit but is less hot shit than he thinks he is. So he's promised them that they're going to get a part in the new Zanfield review, uh, which is a very barely disguised Zigfield Follies. Mm-hmm. Down to the name. They move to New York. They get in the review. There's some show business drama. Eddie ends up actually falling in love with the other sister who gets involved with some playboy named Jock, which I really love. Yeah. My favorite thing about this film may actually be, like, everything with Jock. And he buys her a bunch of expensive stuff and then turns out to be a super jerk. Then Queenie, who is the sister Eddie has fallen in love with, marries Eddie. And her sister Hank starts a, a sister duo with not her sister. And they go to Peoria to go do their show. And Eddie and Queenie live very clearly not so happily ever after, but like... That's one of the things I want to discuss with you, though. Is that right. I cannot tell what the tone of this ending is supposed to be. Right. It is a very sad ending. No one really oh, yeah. gets what they want. And yet I am not entirely convinced 
Well, except for Eddie. Eddie gets everything he fucking wants. And that's the reason I can't tell if the movie knows how sad the ending is. Oh. The movie ends Hank on this uplifting note of she'll be back on Broadway within six months. Queenie is very sad, but then Eddie just tells her to shut up and like (laughs) her life. And that's awful. But also he's done that like 18 times in the movie and the movie keeps kind of acting like that's supposed to be a good thing. You know, I totally agree with you that I'm not sure of what the 1929 perspective on the ending of this was, but I felt like watching Mm -hmm. it from 2017 that it had a very contemporary nebulous feeling to it and also one that was like men get what they want going to broadway is not that easy sometimes women like settle for dudes who aren't great because at least they're not trying to rape them in a dressing room i don't feel like it tried to valorize eddie it was like okay one time he saved queenie after like creepily harassing her for the whole film And even then, she had to, like, carry him out, basically, of the club where he got in a fight with Jock. And I really do feel like the movie did a very good job of showing how how strong women are and how much, like, men think that they're the ones who are in control, but without women to, like, prop them up, they're a mess. There's a lot that's weird about this movie just because, like, storytelling conventions aren't set Mm -hmm. yet. But a lot of good stuff comes into that weirdness. Honestly, a lot of the just like weird bits that went nowhere about just like the backstage stuff at the review was genuinely funny because it could be just nonsense, like one-off joke characters. Right. And similarly, I think this movie ends up being like weirdly feminist just because it doesn't actually have a very good understanding of what the story is supposed to be in a weird way. Um, And so it can kind of just sit there with these characters in a way that ends up being like weirdly progressive. And again, I don't want to oversell it because like the guy does end up getting the hot girl that he loved instead of the girl that he'd been with for a long time and faces no punishment for that. And the other girl just kind of is sad and decides to do a thing she doesn't want to do for her sister. None of the men are really punished, only the women are. Especially at the like first third of the movie. It just spends so much time actually following women and what they're doing in a way that like no movie even 10, 20 years later would. Or like now. 10 years ago, <laughs> yeah. I, I can I can only think of a handful of movies in the past 10 years that have spent as much time just, like, following women as this movie does in the first 30 minutes. In the first eight minutes, because I was like, I need to know what the time stamp is for this movie. Four women characters were introduced, all of whom had, like, multiple lines and who were definitely real people. And it passes the Bechdel test in the first eight minutes, because... Queenie and Hank are in their hotel room. It's a scene with no men in it. And they talk Mm -hmm. about something that's not men. Yeah. They talk about not tipping men, (laughs) which is the best thing to talk about. Well, and also their careers and everything else. Mm -hmm. But it's amazing to say in 2017 that it feels almost revolutionary to have two women who are having a conversation about their worries about their career. Honestly, I think more time is spent between Queenie and Hank talking about their concerns about their career than is spent on actual 
blocks to their career in the film. I think there are more conversations about like, I am nervous about how this is going. I don't know if this is going to lead to anything than like actual complications of their lives, right. which again is just weird plotting, but is actually kind of brilliant as weird plotting. Honestly, I'm not really a big like realism in cinema guy, but it felt weirdly true to life that just like, yeah, even when their careers are actually kind of objectively going absurdly well for having just showed up in New York, they're still spending all of their time going like, God, was this a fucking terrible idea? Just this could be going so much better. Like we should be doing something else. Why are we doing this this way? Even though they've got in the fucking Zigfield Follies like literally day one <laughs> and they got cut down to only two musical numbers. Right. For their sake, they got cut out of the Broadway Melody music number, which was not the which wasn't the best song in the show. Yeah, in the first eight minutes, four women are introduced. It passes the Bechdel test, and you hear the song "The Broadway Melody" approximately fourteen times. Yes, that's true. I, I like God, and that is that to me is the single weirdest thing about this movie is that it is a musical that is organized around one song. Yeah. Now there are other songs. But the organizing principle of this film is whenever things start to feel a little too loose, someone just sings the Broadway melody again to remind you what movie this is. Just just in case you forgot. I am not exaggerating when I say they sing the Broadway melody eight times in this hour and 40 minutes. Oh, you, you minute kept film. track. I kept track. It feels like more than that. It really does because the second time they do it, you go, are they really doing this? Are they really just singing the whole song again? And then, uh, yeah. And then the third time it happens, you're like, is this the whole movie? Do they literally just sing this one song for the entire film? It's like, have you ever heard John Mulaney has a bit called The Salt and Pepper Diner? Mm -mm. That is kind of a shaggy dog story about one time in high school, his friend uh, and him went to a, a, a diner called The Salt and Pepper Diner where they had a jukebox. And uh, they put on What's New Pussycat? 20 times in a row. <laughs> the thing that this movie specifically feels like is there's a part where he goes, and the reason my friend was a genius is in the middle of those 20 What's New Pussycats, he put in one, it's not unusual. And that's what the other musical numbers in this feel like. Oh, I've escaped. They're going to stop singing the Broadway. Nope. It's the Broadway melody again. No, it's coming back. It, they're, they're bringing it back. They're si they're singing it a sixth time. In case you missed it. Oh. I mean, I guess people had records to sell, you know? It was still the ones that could only fit about eight minutes on there. There was a brief moment in the title sequence where they played the, uh, another song with Broadway in the title um, that is much better known than the, the Broadway melody. Oh, yeah. Give my regards to Broadway. Yes. And I thought for a moment, oh, does give my regards to Broadway come from this movie? Is that yeah, like, I did too. Like, is that is that what the Broadway melody is? No, it's literally a song called the Broadway melody. Yeah, and literally the first scene is they're in a music studio and Eddie goes, I've got this great new song called the Broadway melody. It's going to be a smash hit. And he sings it and everyone agrees it's going to be a smash hit. Then he goes and sings it for his friends. Then he goes and yep. sings it at the review. Then he goes and sings it for his friends again. Then... They're just playing it at a random fucking club. Yep. I didn't get the impression that the review was that big of a smash hit that, like, everybody in New York knows this song by now. No. But maybe. Maybe it was supposed to be. 
Speaking of the first scene, though, I'm glad you brought that up Mm because I almost forgot. Not only does this movie, like, make leaps and bounds as far as being able to understand what everyone is saying as compared to in old Arizona, there was some really smart sound editing and sound design in that first scene Mm -hmm. because they're in, like, a a rehearsal hall, basically, for people who haven't seen it. And there's, like, five rooms one main room with a piano and then there's like four little rooms where different acts are practicing and as they focus on each act they go from like the cacophony of five different acts rehearsing at the same time to completely silent for everybody else and just focusing on the people who are practicing in each studio and it was really well done honestly there is only one example of sound design being hilariously bad in this movie and it is the weird scene where the sisters are doing their act and they go off stage and there's enough applause that they come back out for another bow and then they go off and there's enough applause for another bow and then they come back off applause immediately stops because we have cut over to we still we still don't quite have the concept of foley work down and we're cutting immediately (laughs) to the microphone that was recording their lines but otherwise it was really good the whole show i think well the whole show business angle of it I thought was really compelling because Zanfield is, who's like the main producer for the review, is obviously like everybody respects him and he's not unlikable, but he's also kind of like your typical dick boss who's like, I don't give a fuck about what you have to say, like do the thing I asked. Yeah. Because I'm busy. The bit where there was the random girl who fell off of the pedestal. So weird. (laughs) Where they also clearly, like, haven't figured out stunts yet. There's no way that was, that could have been read as anything other than an actor anxiously looking down at the thing she's supposed to fall on and then being like, okay, all right, okay, I'm gonna make this jump. All right, okay. Ah, I fell down! My favorite thing about that is included in the shot is her unhooking herself from the harness that keeps her safe up there, and then looking down and going, eh, fuck it, and then falling (laughs) over. It it was pretty amazing. And then Queenie has to replace her because Mm -hmm. they need, like, they need a leggy dame up there. And I really liked when she said, you know, we've never had to get by on our legs before. Yeah. It was nice. Like, there was no sort of torturousness about it, but it was also, it emphasized they've been successful performers touring the country, and it's only when they come to New York that it becomes, like, weird and creepy, which I thought was charming. Not the creepiness, but the fact that, like, they haven't had, like, rape threats at every motor inn or whatever. I guess they probably didn't have those in 1929. Uh, But... You know what I mean, which would be the way that it would be constructed today. Yeah. I don't know. Again, this movie is like so good because it's so weird in that way almost. I also want to talk about just the long thing about just like how immediately against Queenie hooking up with an insanely rich dude, both Eddie and Hank are. They're just like, have never met this man, have never spoken to him, but they're both just like, Not that kind of fella. Not for our Queenie. I mean, especially for Eddie, because, like, Eddie's already weird stalkery in love with Queenie. You can, like, construct a rationale for it. It's like a not particularly well-explained character choice in Shakespeare, where, like, constructing why it fucking happened is more interesting than if they told you. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. By the end of the movie, there was something that struck me, which was 
there was something kind of tragic about the fact that the clearly more talented sister, who is Queenie, is really not all that interested in becoming, like, famous, you know? And Hank, who, when they first get there, is clearly flat and behind the beat and can't dance as well, is the one who has all of this ambition. And I, I think, to definitely, like, retroactively Shakespeare it, I think what it boils down to is that Hank doesn't want Queenie to go for some sugar daddy because then she doesn't need to get rich and famous. See, I had a very different read where I kind of thought... I guess I just took Hank at her word that, like she was the more talented one and Queenie was very, very, very pretty. Because the only real example we have of Hank not being particularly good or on beat is when that other girl is sabotaging them. I guess I just kind of took that as the reason why that was happening. Oh, maybe. Except her her dance moves were always, like, not as good as Queenie's. Well, no, that's not true, because in their actual specific musical number, Hank actually keeps on dancing Queenie's the one that just, like, has a ukulele and half plays a ukulele and then goes off stage to put it down and then comes back and just kind of bobs up and down while there's an entire chorus of dancing girls doing exactly what Hank is doing. (laughs) Um, Uh, And then they both just run off stage. It's pretty funny to me, too, that Queenie is always framed as, like, the much prettier one. Oh, yeah, that was, yes. I absolutely thought that Hank was way prettier. Yeah. Queenie is just taller, as far as I could figure out. She is taller and blonder. Maybe it's because it's in black and white, but not by much that I, not by anything, actually, that I can tell, if if I'm perfectly honest. They both look pretty equally blonde. Yeah, mostly the way this movie indicated that Queenie was prettier is that fate conspired to have her wear less clothes more often. She is consistently drawing a bath as a guy comes to knock at the door, or having to wear the skimpy outfit on top of a column. Right. Or people keep interrupting her when she is just like, she is forever trying to fucking change out of that Zigfield Follies dress and cannot do it. Whereas Hank gets to just, like, wear a full fucking three-piece suit a couple of times. Yeah, but I loved Hank. And I, I think my feelings about the situation where it's sad that she's less talented because she has more ambition are probably just me, like, excusing her for her random decision. And she was right, but her random decision to hate the fact that her sister was dating this rich guy who gave her diamonds and stuff. Yeah, I guess that does justify that a little bit better. I don't know. Let's talk about my favorite scene in the movie, which is the scene where Hank pretends like she never liked Eddie so that Eddie will go off and and be with Queenie. Yes, let's do. Which is a real fucking acting tour de force. And also when I was just like, I went from thinking Eddie was a dickbag that might redeem himself to just thinking like, well, he's the fucking worst. He is the fucking worst. And I mean, he's kind of like John McCain in that, <laughs> you know, one time he did a good thing and then, you know, we, we have to praise him forever after. Because, yeah, he totally rescued Queenie from Jock, pretty obviously trying to force himself on Queenie. Yeah, although even that was weird because the way he rescued her was to come into the room, have Jock just beat the shit out of him, and then Queenie just went, well, fuck this, I'm out. (laughs) Yes. And went to Eddie. Which is, I think, what you were talking about earlier in terms of, like, this movie kind of implicates Eddie for being such a fucking dickbag. 
I think that it does because I think if it were, and this is the the feeling, the reason I have that feeling is when they come back after they've been married and they come back from their honeymoon, Hank is like, was it a great honeymoon or whatever? And Queenie's reaction is very like, it was, you know, and Eddie is still kind of a dick and there's not this like obvious fairy tale ending that we see so many other times of like, now he's totally redeemed. Again though, is that just like, the science wasn't there yet? They just didn't know all the signifiers you were supposed to do? That the right people have ended up with the right people at the end of the movie. Also, we're agreed that they shouldn't have been actually sisters, and the correct ending to this movie is that Hank gets out of the carriage and runs back to Queenie, and the two of them fucking go back on the road together and dump Eddie, right? Like, that just like that. <laughs> to me, their relationship was so much more interesting than either of their relationships with Eddie. Oh, yeah. That I wanted the ending to be. And I guess the ending was about that. Like, if you just accept the ending was about that, the ending was this very interesting, bittersweet ending of just like, yeah, and then sometimes you just can't. Sometimes that just stops. You can't stay with those people forever and you go and live a different life. And maybe it's not a better life, but maybe it will be. And you just got to figure it out. It's just so weird to have that be the end of an MGM musical that I kind of don't believe that that's the intended ending. Like, I just, like, can't believe that's how an MGM musical is supposed to be read. That it would be, like, that murky and and complicated and not the music swells and everybody lived happily ever after. It'd be like if at the end of You've Got Mail, she genuinely was like, wait, but you've still ruined my whole career. Like, I, I, but I do love you. I just don't know what to do. And then they just sit on a bench together. And then that's the end of You've Got Mail. I think I would have liked You've Got Mail if that had been the end. I was about to say, that's a better ending, but it's fucking batshit nuts. Do we need to hit anything? Is there any scene? Should we talk about the uncle with the hilarious comedy stutter? Oh man, we totally should. Uncle Jed. I love Uncle Jed. And we have given him way too short shrift because... He is delightful. Uncle Jed is like the, he is the kindly uncle. Like just all other kindly uncles in film have to live up to Uncle Jed. And given my lifetime of watching films, most of them stack up pretty poorly. Absolutely. He loves the shit out of those girls in a way that is in no way creepy or weird or controlling. I mean, he's just like, you guys want to go to Broadway and become stars and be half naked on stage? I'm here for it. You want to do something else? I'm also here for it. One of the things I love about Uncle Jed is he always has advice for them. And often it is right, but not always. Yeah. He often goes like, you guys, it can be a little dangerous on Broadway. You, you, could, you can always, 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 there's workout lists. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah. And it's great. And then sometimes he's like, you should marry that Eddie boy. Or at the very end, he's talking about how Hank is like, she's a tramp. She's always got to be moving on like the road. And you can see from Hank that like, no, I don't have to. I just am. That's just the decision that I've made. It's like, weirdly, that makes it even sweeter that he's like created this justification for her decision. 
because he loves her and wants her to be happy, but doesn't quite have right. a complete picture of what's going on here. Yeah, he's really lovely. And like I say, he has a comedy stutter. He's got the he's got the Porky Pig thing where he gets stuck on a letter and then has to say something that starts with another letter. Right. He just can't do that letter. And it's a good bit. Totally. It's good enough for Uncle Jed. It's good enough for Porky Pig. It's good enough for me. I agree completely. What about Jock? Other than saying that we didn't like him. Yeah. Let's talk about, about Jock. I mean, like, obviously at the end where he fucking sexually assaults Queenie, he's awful. But up until then, every signifier that he is awful is he is exactly like Eddie, but richer. <laughs> exactly in every way like Eddie. Like, even at one point, Eddie's like, that's the kind of guy that fools around on you. And she goes, oh, you've never fooled around? And he goes, well, of course I have. And it's like, well, th- what what is even happening here? But, but not since you came R- back, since you came to New York. Right, exactly. Specifically, I have definitely messed around with your sister, but I am so deeply in love with you that I would never do that now is his fucking pitch is the fucking male leads pitch. Yeah, and, and I feel like it's so transparent. There's also the point where, God, I'm going back to talking about Eddie, but he's just terrible. Uh, there's the point where he's confessing that he loves Queenie, and Queenie is like, don't say it, don't say it. Can't you see that I love you too, or whatever? And I don't know, because apparently critics are divided on this. They're like, oh, it's not believable, and Anita Page isn't a good actor, and that's why, like, it doesn't read and we don't buy into it. It totally felt to me like the thing that women do when they're like, yeah, I love you, please get off me. I'm going to tell you what you want to hear so you stop trying to, like, force yourself on me in this dressing room. Which, like, the physical situation that they are in is, when that happens, is almost identical to the situation she's in with Jock. Here's what I will say. I thought that for the first act, the, the, like, first time it comes up, there's a time in, like, act three where they're backstage and have the exact same fight, and she confesses her love a second time. Where I felt way more like, oh, I'm supposed to believe her. They're supposed to be in love. That's weird. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so then maybe it's just like she's not pulling it off. There's other explanations that I could buy for that. There's some fucking Winchester brothers from Supernatural level sacrificing for each other. Right. That those sisters do throughout this film. So I, my initial read on that was like, maybe she's just fucking taking the bullet for Hank at this point. Right. Like, I'll, fine, I'll marry you so that my, uh, like, I'll be the asshole who stole my sister's boyfriend so that she doesn't feel bad and also doesn't marry this piece of shit who's in love with her sister. Yeah, I thought we were going to do like a round robin gift to the Magi thing for a second where I thought that like right after Hank pretended to have never loved Eddie and Eddie ran off. Queenie was just gonna get engaged to Jock just to end the fucking interminable love triangle. And then it was gonna be an ending where, like, everybody didn't get what they want because they all, all sacrificed for each other in this weird way. Except for Eddie. Because, of course. Yeah, and did things they didn't really want to do. The plotting is just weird. I went to go see um, at Hollywood Forever uh, Cemetery with uh, some of my wife's co-workers and my wife, obviously, The Fifth Element, like a week and a half ago. Okay. And that is another movie where I genuinely think the opera house sequence, the like that action sequence, Have you, you've seen Fifth Element, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. 
I think that that sequence is the only sequence in the entire movie that is good the way the director intended it to be good. Right, okay. And I think there's a similar thing here of, I think there's a lot of this movie that is very good, and I'm not sure that they're the parts... Like, I feel like the director is like, and then we really staged the hell out of those dance sequences. And it's, <laughs> and my feeling on the, a lot of the dance sequences is, why are they wearing one pom-pom on one leg? Why is this Roman? What is happening? What is happening in any musical number in this entire film? What is happening when Eddie sings a very loud, loud and, yeah, it was loud, very bad love song that he has written for Queenie? What is happening when the dancing chorus girls have Furbies on one leg and one arm? And it's a, and it's a song about marriage. What is, what is happening in any musical number in this show? But every time it's not a musical number, this movie's fucking great. And I don't think that that was the intended read. No, I don't think so either. Though I, I have to say that the musical number that I really enjoyed for its complete absurdity was uh after they cut the the girls from the broadway melody portion of the review specifically because the number is too long because the number is too long there's like a five minute long tap solo except that instead of tap shoes the dancer is a woman on point but she has taps on the bottom of her ballet shoes. Not on the bottom, on the on the point toes of her ballet shoes, which I didn't even know was possible. And on a like Foley work, look what we can do with sound level, that was actually kind of weirdly great. Oh, I loved it for that. <laughs> but, but thinking of it as an actual fucking thing that's supposed to happen on stage on Broadway, it's nuts. It is bonkers that the, the producer would be like, mm. Definitely cut the chorus, but keep the girl dancing and like doing ballet tap for two straight minutes. Which from four rows back would look like nothing. Exactly. Because it would just look like she was doing little whatever it's called where they just do the steps, the tiny little steps on their toes. Mm -hmm. Because in order to make the tap noise, that's what she has to do. So it's like none of the showmanship of either ballet nor tap dancing. It's also so clearly from the, like, sound, not very loud. And so just, like, by four rows back, you can't hear that she has tap things on her ballet shoes. It's insane, and I loved it. Yeah. Which is honestly a pretty good summary of this entire film. Yeah, I mean, I it, it, this one is the one that won. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm definitely going to say that if, Old Arizona is any indication of the other nominees in this pool, it's going to be hard to beat. Yeah, I have a hard time believing that the Academy made a bad choice this year from the two films we've watched so far. Right. Maybe one of the other two films we're going to watch is going to fucking blow me away. Should we rate this now? Because I feel like I want to give this an eight. Oh, yeah. No, I'll totally line up with an eight. I was going to go higher. I feel like I'm just so excited about having watched a movie that I genuinely enjoyed and mm -hmm. wasn't just like, I respect that someone made this movie, which is how I felt about Wings. Mm -hmm. Like, I liked watching this movie. I think this is the first movie we've watched that genuinely has withstood the screen test of time. Yeah. Isn't just, like, good graded on the curve of, like, cinema history. It's just good. Which is funny because it has a 30% on Rotten Tomatoes. And a number of critics have said that it hasn't, literally have said it hasn't stood the test of time, 
Which I think is, well, they're just wrong. (laughs) I get the argument in the sense that, like, if you're talking from, like, a formalistic perspective, Mm. this movie has tons of problems. And there are tons of problems that will be ironed out by the, like, next 20 years of making this movie fucking over and over and over again, MGM. Yeah, by the way, (laughs) if you're looking for this movie and you come across the Broadway melody 19th, 30 anything you've got the wrong one yeah it's just the broadway melody and there were three sequels but i'm not even talking about that i'm just talking about like this is the fucking blueprint for every mgm musical that's gonna come after it in the same way that like iron man is the blueprint for all the marvel movies but they very quickly went on like a lot of stuff has changed since that right this is not like the prototypical mgm musical But, like, this is where all the MGM musicals came from. And in a similar way, like, yeah, I bet there is a movie that does everything this movie does but better that they make eight years from now when they figure out how to do all of that. But, like, a lot of the things that are formalistically wrong with this movie are why I like it so much. Yeah, oh, me too. That it does have, like, a nebulous feeling to it of, like, is this a happy ending? Is this just a, like, there are no happy endings in life? You get by as well as you can, and and nobody has happily ever after. Which is weirdly very much in line with post-World War One literature, and whereas film was supposed to be more escapist and more like consumable for the masses without any without any murkiness to it, I guess. Yeah. And it's not clean. You know, like in old Arizona, it was garbage. But it does have like a very, very tight plot twist. The three minutes of plot that were there were very clearly plotted. Right. Out. And they were they were very tight. There was no question of, like, who was good, who was bad, whatever. Whereas, like, this one, the people who were bad in it, it was like nothing actually happened to them. Which is sort of what happens in real life. Is like, you know, there's not vengeance. Like, Jack beats the shit out of Eddie and then, I guess, goes on to just, like, be rich and sugar daddy up other girls. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I liked it. Same. I'll give it an 8. I'll restrain myself from being like, a 10 because it was a movie! Yeah, I do. I, I feel like we should have still have some room at the top because um, I, I feel like I want to save something for, like, when I like a movie with absolutely no reservations. And also, I like this movie, and I'm pretty sure I like it for the reasons the people who made it intended. Yeah, exactly. But next week, we are departing from the musical genre, and I have to say I'm, like, a little terrified that it's gonna be bad with Alibi. Yeah, the poster's the poster's too good. We're fucked. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's a, it's, a, it's a cops and robbers film, and I didn't love the last one that we watched. But maybe they've improved in the year that has elapsed between this and uh, and the racket. Okay, I do have to say, though, that one of our leads is named Chick Williams. And there's a character in it named Toots, so maybe it'll be great. Yeah, we might we might be doing okay. It's also only nine, 90 minutes, so that also might help out a lot. Yeah, which I always appreciate. So, Fed, we will see you next week. Thank you for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs>